Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris, get to serve on the team here. And I am pumped that you're with us this morning, but even more than pumped that you're here, I'm expectant because I believe God's going to move. I believe we're going to experience his power in presence in our time together. On uh, November 11th, 2018, I woke up at 5 a.m., just like I do every Sunday. I happened to be serving at another, uh, on staff at another church at the time, a church in Maine, But like every Sunday, I woke up at 5 a.m. on November 11, 2018. And I did so because I like to pray for our church's, you know, church services. So I wake up, I do my normal chair time, and then I I spend some time praying. And knowing that um, prior to that, I happened to be preaching that Sunday. I was preaching on Acts 8. If you're familiar with that passage, it's the story of Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. So in this preparation time, as I was writing the message, I felt like God was asking me to invite our our church family to respond and spontaneously get baptized. So on November 11th, I, I woke up early, I'm praying, and I'm praying with this nervous excitement. Nervous because I'm thinking, okay, if I ask people to get baptized and no one does, like, I'm excited because like, what if I do what God asked me to do and God shows up and people do respond and they get baptized? Well, I prayed things like this. I prayed, this is literally my prayer journal. God, please overwhelm us in how you move today. Now, we had five people signed up to get baptized that day. They were planning on it. But here's what I asked. I said, may dozens and dozens of people respond in faith to what you're doing in, your heart, in, your, in their hearts and get baptized. I boldly ask that we will have more baptisms than the three songs at the end of the service. May people leave not in awe of me, but in awe of you. So at first service, I, I preached the gospel and I share how there was a gal in my neighborhood, Susan, who I met on a walk earlier that summer, the summer prior, and, and she was going to get baptized that day. And I share a little bit of her story, and then I invited others to respond similarly if they, too, wanted to follow Jesus. And it was incredible. We had like a dozen people get baptized that service. And at the same time, at the end of the service, I just felt like God's not done yet. And uh, someone on our staff ran over to Walmart and Target to get some more towels, to get some more changes of clothes, just in case God moved in a similar way during second service. So again, during second service, I, I preach the gospel again, and I invite people to respond by getting baptized. And our team was not even close to ready for the pouring out of God's Spirit. People were running across the auditorium to get baptized. There was a line down the hall, young and old, gay and straight, able-bodied and disabled. All these people who just wanted to follow Jesus and publicly declare that by getting baptized. It was an incredible, incredible day. 
as our team sang song after song after song after song, we baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, 45 people got baptized, 40 of whom were not planning on it when they woke up that morning. In the, the week that followed, God kept moving, and an additional 25 people got baptized. That Monday, I got to baptize another pray for one of mine, Fred. I met him at the gym years prior, and he'd been coming, and I got to celebrate with him as he took that step of faith. When God shows up like this, and we hear stories of this, it stirs something in us. We, we want to experience God's power and presence ourselves. And yet, when we hear stories like this, or maybe it's, it's headlines like the Asbury Revival, you know, they intrigue us, but we're also just like a little skeptical because we haven't experienced God move that way ourselves. Or maybe it's hearing how God healed someone of their illness. So you, you, you pray in faith, but you hold back just like a little bit in case God doesn't heal the way you want him to. We, there's this desire in us to experience God's power and presence, but the thing about God's power and presence is you can't manufacture it. God is God. God is going to do what God wants to do. And yet at the same time, what, we're, what we see in Scripture is that as followers of Jesus, we are promised God's power and presence because we're promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we make sense of all of this? How do we experience God's power and presence ourselves? How do we join God in his work in the lives of our pray for ones? If you got a Bible, turn with me to Acts 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 41 today, and we're going to see how the Holy Spirit came on the followers of Jesus then and how we could experience him today. If you, got, if you need a Bible, of course, you can follow along in the app. Now, throughout this epic series, we've been tracking with the story of God through Scripture, and we're seeing how God intends to intersect our story. Now, when God intersects our story, it is nothing short of epic. And what we've seen earlier in this series is that God promised something to his people. He promised this to his people when they were in exile in Babylon. We read it uh, several weeks ago now, but let me reread it. This is from Ezekiel 36, where God said this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God promised to, to give his people his spirit. He promised this to them back in exile. And then Jesus promised his followers to give them the Holy Spirit to carry out his mission right before Jesus ascended to heaven. It went like this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And later, a couple verses down, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, just like Jesus said, the disciples waited in a holding pattern. They just waited 
until the Holy Spirit came on them. And then it happened. But before we get there, let's pause, let's pray, and let's ask that we experience God in this time. Lord, we come before you expectant because we're going to open your word together and we know that every time we read your word, you speak to us, it does not return void. So Lord, would you speak to each and every one of us now? Would you speak through me? Would you move Holy Spirit? As we look at a passage in an account in history where you moved and, and you came upon the disciples in an incredible way, would you fall fresh on us? We want to know you more. We want to know you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Luke was a doctor, historian in the first century, and he recorded the coming of the Holy Spirit like this, picking up in Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. All right, to understand the significance about, of what's about to happen, we need to understand what Pentecost was about, because that's probably not a holiday you've celebrated much, if you're anything like me. Okay, Pentecost, just the cliff notes, Pentecost was one of the three Jewish holidays where Jews from all over would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. Another one of these festivals was Passover. And of course, at the last Passover, 50 days prior, Jesus brought whole new meaning to that celebration when he sacrificially died as the lamb of the world. He sacrificially died and then he rose again. Well, Pentecost, uh, the whole idea with Pentecost was that it was this opportunity for Jews all around to come and celebrate the first fruits of their harvest and to give them back to God, demonstrating their trust in him. Now, the, the city would be bustling at this time. Jews from all over coming, bringing the first fruits of their harvest as a thank offering to God. This particular feast was also uh, a time that was associated with the renewal of the covenant between God and his people. Okay, this ancient festival, while there was a lot of hustle and bustle, it really lacked some luster. It could use some fresh wind in its sails. And that's when it happened. You see, verse 2 continues, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they, the disciples, were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, unlike they'd ever experienced before, God's power, God's presence came upon the disciples. And the text says, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Throughout scripture, God's presence is portrayed as fire. We've seen this through this series. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. God led his people through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. At Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, God descended on the mountain as, and it was described as smoke and fire. When God came to inhabit the tabernacle, he, it came down as a pillar of fire. So the point being here, that the Holy Spirit's coming upon the disciples. God's power and presence was upon them. Now, who's this Holy Spirit? That we're talking about. Well, the Holy Spirit's the third person in the Godhead. We believe in one God who is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Each 
are fully God, and yet each are distinct from one another. And we actually relate with each of them differently too. Now, at risk of oversimplifying things, God the Father is over us, God the Son is with us, Emmanuel, we talk about that at Christmas time, and God the Spirit is in us, as we're gonna see today. Now, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples began to speak of the wonders of God in a whole bunch of different languages. It's interesting, uh, we didn't look at this account in too much detail in this series, but in the Old Testament, there's this account called the Tower of Babel, where the, the people were rebelling, so God kind of gave them a bunch of different languages and they scattered all over the earth. And yet here at Pentecost, we're seeing the reverse, the opposite. God's reversing what he did at Babel. He's redeeming it. He's redeeming all the languages because he's got a uniting message for all people everywhere. Now, a crowd formed, bewildered, perplexed, because here were some unschooled fishermen who are suddenly teaching in their native tongues. And the text says, some mocked them saying, they've had too much wine. So Peter, Peter stood up in, the, in defense and he said, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. Seriously, that's Peter's defense. Uh, look, look at this, verse 15. These people are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. Like, come on, Peter, that's the best you got. You're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. So glad we didn't catch you at nine at night. Fortunately, the power of God, the presence of God in Peter took over and Peter went on to preach a killer message. We're talking like at least three fire emojis, okay? <laughs> Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter began and he explained what they were experiencing and how it was a fulfillment of a prophecy over 500 years prior. Listen to this. Acts 2, 16 through 21. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, in signs on the earth below, blood in fire, in billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, in the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's all like, as God foretold it, God's now doing it. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he shares why. He shares God's story and how God intends to intersect their story. Peter continues, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you uh, through him, as you yourselves know. He's like, you saw it. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body, I should, yeah, my body will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. 
You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Knowing his audience, a bunch of Jews, Peter pulled out all the stops. He's quoting King David, the great King David, to make his point. And then Peter reminds the Jews of what God promised King David. His promise, which was being fulfilled in their presence. Verse 29 now and following. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I love how Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, summarizes Peter's message here. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now say you're sorry. Uh, Peter's bottom line in his message was this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. If he had a mic, he would have dropped it. How do you suppose the crowd responded? A little Q&A actually broke out. And in verse 37, you know, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to the Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Uh, some of my favorite conversations with people after I preach are when they come up to me and they share the revelation that they had. And they'll go on and on and they'll talk about how, uh, like, I said something. And the longer I listen, the more I think, I didn't say that but God did. You see, when, when we read the Word of God, when we hear the Word of God, it penetrates our inmost being, and it invites our response. We can't help but respond to the gospel. In this case, Peter says the response should be the following. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000, that's a lot more than 45. The church just exploded in growth. And I can't help but think about Jesus' prior conversations with his disciples where he taught them that the fields were ripe for harvest. And now here they are at Pentecost experiencing the harvest. Why the abundant harvest at Pentecost? Why the explosive growth of the church? Well, it's because when we share the story of God, 
empowered by the Spirit of God, we are poised to experience the power and presence of God. You can explore faith in Jesus as long as you want. You can even belong with us at Connect before you believe what we believe. But if you want to experience what we're experiencing, if you want God's power and presence to characterize your life, then at some point, Jesus' story has to become your story. Your sin killed him. God raised him. People saw him. So say you're sorry. Or as Peter said it, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. One's internal, the other's external. Both capture the heart transformation that's possible for us in Jesus. Uh, why do we decide to follow Jesus? Well, we say it at the end of every one of our services. So church, if you know it, say it with me. Whoever follows Jesus finds life. Whoever follows Jesus finds life. Jesus came to give you life, life to the full. But that requires turning from our old life of sin, receiving his forgiveness and experiencing that life in him. Our sin killed him. God raised him. People saw him. And now we can have full life in him. When we repent, we, we turn from that life of sin, we receive Jesus' forgiveness, and when we're, when we're baptized, that very physical, symbolic representation, dying to that life of sin, rising to new life in Christ, when we repent and are baptized, we declare to God and to others, Jesus is Lord. He is my Savior and Lord. His sacrificial death has forgiven my sin, and I'm going to follow him with my life. So if you want the power and presence of God, in your life, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I said it last week, I'll say it again today. If you wanna follow Jesus, follow Jesus, Jesus' way. And, and the first step in the following, it, once you've surrendered, like the first step, he saved you, now, now follow him, get baptized. And you don't need to delay on this one. There is a pool right there. I have my, my, uh, my swimsuit with me again today. I come ready every single week because every single week, I expect God to show up. And I don't know how he's gonna show up, but if someone ever feels prompted that, that they need to take that step, they need to get baptized, I don't wanna stand in the way of that. God's doing something in their life. I wanna be a partner in that. I don't wanna be in opposition to that. If you wanna get baptized today, you can. Just catch me after service. We can make our way over there. We got changes of clothes that you can, you can keep, you know, and towels. They got the whole deal. And if you want to get baptized next week, that's cool too. Let us know on your Connect card. Invite all your family, your friends, everyone, and we'll celebrate together. When we realize that we're sinners and we can't change ourselves and we receive Jesus, it is a good thing. But here's the thing. As Christians, we do this weird thing and we receive his grace. We receive his forgiveness and then we try to change ourselves. It's like we know we can't change ourselves and we're stuck in our sins, so we receive Jesus' forgiveness. And then, I don't know what gets into us, but we suddenly think that, okay, it's gonna be my, my power, my effort, my might, that I'm gonna change myself, I'm gonna make myself better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we are saved by God's power and we are transformed by his power. So you don't need to try harder in reading your Bible. 
You don't need to wonder about how has God gifted me to, to participate in his work. You don't have to shrink back in, in sharing your faith because it's not by our effort. It's by his grace. When God's story becomes our story, God's power becomes our power. And if you find yourself trying to change yourself, uh, listen, listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. I hope this encourages you as it encourages me. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Anyone feeling good right now? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here it comes. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We don't live like we once lived because the Holy Spirit's in us, transforming us. We're no longer characterized by those fleshly desires. Instead, we're characterized by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's present in our life, it produces fruit in our life. That's what he does. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a whole lot better than that list of sin we read. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Instead of, uh, you know, when he gifts us, what we also see in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit gifts us to join Jesus on mission, to be a part of building up of his church, to be a, be a part of uh, his kingdom expanding in the region around us. The Holy Spirit enables us to boldly share Jesus with those who don't yet know him. And if you're trying to wonder, like, okay, how do I, how do I live by the Spirit? How do I keep in step with the Spirit? Let me just share very briefly three things that help me do that. Okay, the first is reading my Bible every morning. Second is praying first throughout my day. And the third is engaging in Jesus-centered community every week. The reason reading my Bible helps me every morning is that the same Spirit of God who inspired the human authors of Scripture, God's the divine author inspiring human authors, that same Spirit of God is the one who lives in me, in you, if you follow Jesus. So when we read Scripture, we get familiar with the voice of the Holy Spirit. I pray first throughout my day. This helps me focus my attention on God throughout my day. What's he doing? What's he up to? So like you, I pray before meals. I also try to pray before I walk into the gym or before I walk into the meeting or the store or whatever it is. I don't get it right all the time. There's plenty of times I don't get it right. But when I do, when I do pray first, I find that I'm more open to what God is doing in that place with those people and how I could show his love to them while I'm with them. So reading my Bible every morning, praying throughout the day. The third is engaging in Jesus-centered community every week. It inspires me. It encourages me. It holds me accountable. 
to following Jesus. Because following Jesus is hard. Jesus described it as, as taking up your cross in, in following him. This isn't like an easy thing. And Jesus didn't think that it was, but he did know that it was best. And he gave us people to follow him with. When our community group gathers, uh, we, we talk about how we blessed someone far from God last week and how we're gonna bless someone far from God this week. And I am so grateful for that personally. Because personally, I get real wrapped up in my own little world. My life, my family, all the, the things just right in front of me. But when I gather with this community who loves me and wants me to follow Jesus, as Jesus said, I'm reminded, okay, I can do this. And I have people cheering for me, praying for me, and encouraging and celebrating with me when God does move and I'm a part of it. Now, this is not like an exhaustive list, okay, of keeping in step with the Spirit. It's just a start. So maybe give it a shot this week. Try reading your Bible every morning this week. Try praying first throughout your day. Try engaging in Jesus-centered community and, and sharpen one another, encourage one another to follow Jesus in the day-to-day. -day. As, as followers of Jesus, we are never alone. We're never alone. The Spirit of God is in us. No longer does God dwell in a tabernacle or a temple built by human hands. The Spirit of God dwells in the people of God. The Spirit of God dwells in us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who works in us to stop sinning. It's this joint effort. We're, we're, part, we're part of the process, but He's the power making the transformation happen. The Holy Spirit gifts us to build up the church to see God's kingdom expand. The Holy Spirit empowers us, emboldens us to share the gospel with, with the one who's far from God. Yes, we are everyday missionaries with an everyday mission, but our power is a supernatural power. And with the power and presence of God in us, we can dream bigger. We can dream God dreams. That's why I, I dream of the day when we're gonna baptize someone at every one of our services. I dream of the day where we get to be a part of eradicating loneliness in the front range. In, in Jesus' name. Multiplying Jesus-centered communities. I dream of a revival in the front range where everyone right now who's far from God can connect with God, the church. It doesn't have to be connect church. It can be any gospel preaching church in their purpose. We want to experience God's power and presence, but we cannot manufacture it. So we're not going to try. And yet, what we learn from this story of, at Pentecost is that when the Holy Spirit comes, look out world, when we share the story of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, we are poised to experience the power and presence of God. Pentecost was the starting line for the church, not the finish line. As the Holy Spirit fell on them, may He fall fresh on us. May we too reap a thousandfold harvest. May we too experience God's power and presence like never before. To God be the glory. Lord, we ask for that very thing right now. We want to experience your power and presence. We want to hear from you as we open your word. We want to see you answer prayers. We want to see you change lives, change our lives, change the lives of those in our life who don't yet know you. We want to see you come and move and do what only you can do. So here we are. We lay ourselves down.
surrendered to you and ask, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, move. And we know that when you do, Jesus will be glorified because that's what you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.